Hi, this is David Spray, and welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited for my guest today, Ali Nasser. Ali has a new book that's just been released on February 22nd of 2022, 22222. And the title of it is The Business Owner's Dilemma. So on this episode, we talked a bit about the book, why he wrote it, the three dilemmas that business owners face. We talk about instead of ROI, we talked about R-O-L-E, return on life experience. We talked about why entrepreneurs are different than non-entrepreneurs when it comes to wealth and legacy planning. And I'd say one of the biggest takeaways that I think one would get from the book is clarity and a path forward for planning and capturing life's work. So the episode gives you kind of a nice high level of some of the benefits of the book. And I hope you really enjoy this episode. And I would strongly recommend anybody interested seriously consider acquiring a copy of the book. It's on his website and on Amazon. All right, so let's get to the episode. Hi, Ali. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the pleasure is all mine. And the regular listeners will recognize Ali's name. He's been on on at least one of the other podcasts. And but today though, we're talking about a momentous event that will be occurring on February twenty second of two thousand twenty two. Two 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 bunch of twos, right? <laughs> yeah, a bunch of twos. Two two twenty two. So what is going to happen tomorrow that's uh, that's kind of uh, important in the life of Ali? Well, uh, I get to share the message of the business owner's dilemma, and the book will have its official launch on 2.22. And I think that this book is going to just make a huge impact to every business owner that reads it. And I'm really excited to share the message. Well, as somebody who was fortunate enough to read a, a pre-release copy, I would completely agree that it's it's going to be a, a game changer for for a lot of business owners. So let's take a, a bit of a step back with it. So what would you say your purpose and mission for writing the book? I, I know you well enough to know you didn't just do it for just for something to, to kill some time that I knew you had a reason behind it. What is that? I appreciate I appreciate the question. Yeah. It so there was I've been working with and guiding and advising and learning from entrepreneurs for nearly twenty years. But about ten years ago I had a few uh, circumstances or a few engagements that really changed my the trajectory of my work and also inspired me to write this book and to to create a new message. And what happened was, is I had a series of business owners that had reached the summit of their mountain, if you will, I can use that terminology. Mm-hmm. And they had sold their companies for amounts of 20 million, 100 million, even $500 million, and had substantial exits. And what most would consider to be the pinnacle of success, you know, to build your company up and then sell it at a great price, most would consider that to be kind of the ultimate entrepreneurial success. Mm-hmm. And I saw business owners that had hit that level with substantial exits. And while they had complete financial independence or financial freedom, many of them were not mentally free. 
and many of them were heavily challenged with what came next. The life challenges, addressing the dilemmas of how to plan and, and manage their wealth, addressing the life after business or their second act if they were going into a new business, and in many ways, an identity crisis of sorts as they had this business exit. And I saw how much these business owners were struggling, and it was the vast majority of the owners. It wasn't just one or two, but it was several of them. And what it made me acutely aware of is that wealth is a means, not an end. And if you don't have a lot of intentionality or clarity toward what your end is, you can really struggle even if you hit extreme levels of success in business. And it, it reminded me of a mountain climbing analogy. And you and I have climbed a mountain before. And uh, I think it, it kind of holds true that when we think about the mountain climbing, Dave, if I ask you, what's the goal of climbing a mountain, what would your answer be? Uh, what would the typical person's answer be? Maybe that's a better question. I'll, I'll, I'll play along to, uh, to get to the, the top as quickly as possible. Right? And, and most look at that and they're like, well, yeah, I, you, you climbed Everest. Did you summit? You know, did you make it to the top? And the real goal of mountain climbing is to get to the top and then to get back down safely so you can celebrate the success and the journey. And it may sound obvious when I say that, you know, get to the top, get back down. But the interesting thing about mountain climbing statistics is that 80% of the accidents that happen in mountain climbing, they don't happen on the way up. They happen on the way down. And it's because we're so focused on reaching our goal that we don't think about what happens after we reach that goal. And I think the same is true in business. So many entrepreneurs are so focused on growth. How do I get to the top? How do I summit? That they don't think about what happens after they've hit that exit or after they're generating the profits they once dreamt of. And the natural thing is, do well, I want to keep climbing higher? But sometimes the journey isn't necessarily climbing higher. It's having a descent. It's figuring out how to plan, how to handle the next chapter. And I realized through these experiences that most owners were not prepared for that. They, the, this situation created damages to their relationships, sometimes to their physical health, to their life happiness. And I saw entrepreneurs that had worked a lifetime to create happiness and success and independence that weren't able to enjoy the benefits of their success. And that kind of terrified me. I, I was concerned for myself, concerned for other business owners I was working with. And I saw the work we were doing with business owners to help them reshape paradigms, to plan their life's wealth, to address their biggest dilemmas, the positive impact that made. And I said to myself at that point, I said, this is too big of, a, of an issue to not expand. And I really, I want to share this message and I want to share this system and this thinking and this framework with all entrepreneurs. So at that point, during that period of two or three years or so, I said, I really want to write a book and democratize this message and share it with every business owner, large or small, what we learned in a boutique, let me take this to the greater entrepreneurial community. And what better way to take it to the greater entrepreneurial community than through a book? So that was my why, if you will. No, I, that really resonates. And I can hear the influence of Peter Diamandis because one of his six Ds is democratize. Right? Was that inspired by Peter? I'm not sure who it was inspired by, but I definitely know Peter's used it. So I appreciate his message around democratization. So sure. I think that's great to, to give that credit to him. So is it safe to say this has been a, a labor of love? 
<laughs> it's definitely been a journey. I think it took about five years to to complete and an extraordinary amount of, of energy, both in time and in mental energy and in dollars to put it all together, but it's all worth it. And just hearing the, the feedback from the first about 50 or so collaborators that read the book and the impact that it's made on them already, I'm just I'm excited for, you know, the first you know, 500 or 5,000, they get to read the book. And then just hearing the thoughts, I think it'll, it'll it, it's already worth it. And I think it'll be that much more worth it as more, more business owners get the influence. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's worth pointing out because if I don't say this, you'll probably not mention it. But the reason I'd asked if it's a labor of love is I know that it's not a labor for profit. And the reason I know that is because my understanding is that 100% of the the profits of the book uh, are going to the charity water charity. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. So yes, from that perspective, absolutely. The the profits from the book will be going to support a great cause and help build water wells in in villages and areas where, where clean water is kind of a necessity. Yeah, no, I love their story. And yeah, it's it's a great story. So kudos to you for being able to, you know, really put your money where your mouth is, that this really is a gift and not a a a business venture for you. So well, thank you. Uh, well I, I have appreciate to be, it. I, I and I appreciate you saying that, Dave, but I have to be fully transparent. You know, the book proceeds will go to charity, but there's definitely um opportunities for educational programs, workshops, additional content that definitely have a business um, a business component to it. So I, I would say that well, the, fair the, enough. Book, the book proceeds themselves may be a little altruistic, but I, I definitely think that there will be aspects to it that uh, will be great for business and, and great for uh, creating educational and content platforms. So it's a mixture of both. It's a mixture of both. So. Well, that's uh, thank you for clarifying that. But still, in the order you're giving first, and that's I really admire that. Thank so, you. so let's talk about. So, the title of the book is "The Business Owner's Dilemma," but it's not just a single dilemma, is it? There's actually multiple dilemmas, aren't there? Yeah, there's three critical dilemmas uh, that business owners will face or successful business owners will face. And what are those? So the the first dilemma is the reinvestment dilemma. And this is where a business owner has, they've made profits from their company, they're doing well, and they're trying to figure out where do I reinvest my capital? Do I put it back in the business? Do I buy real estate? Do I invest in private equity deals in the stock market and bonds in crypto? Nowadays, people are considering that in cash. You know, where do I part? Where do I reinvest my capital where I can get the best return that makes sense for me and my position? And that's the, the first dilemma, reinvestment dilemma. The second dilemma is a bit of a deeper question, and that's the legacy dilemma, which is what is this all for? Is the wealth that I'm building and sometimes building much more than I need, is this for my children? Is this for charity? Is this for fun? Is this for my ego? What's the purpose behind all my work? And if I leave this wealth to my children, will I be empowering them or will I be entitling them? You know, really, what is it all for? That's the the legacy dilemma. 
And then the, the third dilemma, which could come at any point in time, is the exit dilemma. And the exit dilemma is, do I sell my company? Do I grow it further and then sell it? Do I leave it to a son or daughter, sell it to an executive team? If I sell my company, will I be free now to pursue my passion and my life's work? Or will I be selling my passion and my life's work? Mm. You know, essentially, what is my best exit strategy? That's the exit dilemma. And what I've found is that between these three dilemmas, when it comes to, to personal wealth decisions, consider at the intersection of wealth decisions and life decisions for a business owner, that 90% of the mental real estate that a business owner is thinking about connects to one of these three dilemmas. Mm-hmm. It may manifest in different ways, but these three take up the majority of the mental real estate when it comes to their personal wealth. Yeah, I can relate, and especially that first one, that that reinvestment dilemma, I find is a serial entrepreneur myself that it's a constant dilemma because on the one hand, investing in myself and my business has the greatest likely return from that, or at least it feels like I have the control of the degree of return from that. But I sometimes think that's true in one sense, but a bit of an illusion in another sense. Speak a little bit to that, because I've heard you talk more about this as far as a business owner's sense that when they invest in their company, they have more control and a greater return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So most business owners, their most important investment and oftentimes their best investment is their own company. And that's why you have, as you mentioned, your control, your IP, your competitive advantage. Generally speaking, it's your most important and best investment. However, there's a big there's a big change to that lens when you start to consider the word you just mentioned, which is control. So if I introduce you to someone that has a hundred percent of their net worth invested in Apple stock, and let, let me just use a number of twenty million dollars. They have twenty million dollars invested in Apple stock. Okay. What would you tell them? I'd tell them they're crazy. They have a huge concentration risk and they need to diversify. Okay. That sounds like a rational response to 100% of my net worth in Apple stock. Mm-hmm. But how many business owners do we know that have nearly all of their net worth tied up and invested in the stock, but it's the stock of the company that they built? And it's or, an illiquid and it's an, Yeah. And it's an illiquid yeah. stock. Right. I would say, and what would, would you say to a, a client of yours that had $20 million all invested in his manufacturing company? I'd say, welcome to the club. You're just like everybody else. <laughs> you're, you're not going to tell that person you're crazy. You should diversify. You know, that's high concentrated risk. You're going to say, congratulations. Great job. You know, what are you doing next? Are you going to grow it to 50 million? Uh, you know, it's never a conversation of you're crazy. You should diversify. You need to get out. And the interesting thing is when you think about the risk of, you know, Dave's manufacturing company versus the risk of Apple stock is arguably the most successful company of all time. And and I don't think there's anyone out there that would argue that Apple stock as one company has way less risk than investing in a small business manufacturing company or a mid-sized business manufacturing company. Sure. But for the, for the owner of that company, their perception of risk is that their stock has lower risk. And that's because they have control. And when you have control, your perception of risk goes down substantially. You start to think, oh, I can control it. It's not as risky. 
When in reality, if I told you take that same $20 million you have invested in your manufacturing company and put it in someone else's manufacturing company that you don't control, you'd say, no way. That's crazy. I'd never put $20 million in someone else's business because mm-hmm. it's way too risky and I don't have control. So where it works to the entrepreneur's favor is if you're taking a concentrated risk in your own company and that concentrated risk can be somewhat pacified because you have control, that's where many business owners get the opportunity to turn $500 into $50 million mm-hmm. or you know, really generate a big outsized return because they have that comfort for concentrated risk. But there reaches a point where if you don't measure your return and your risk on your company and you don't have perspective over what you really want or how much risk you really want to take or where you are in the business or life cycle, you might end up writing that all the way up. And one day you might be the blockbuster and and Netflix comes along and all of a sudden you're saying, well, you know, my business doesn't have risk. It's going to do great. I've been through tough times before and just like a blockbuster or a Kodak um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you all of a sudden new technology can come along and disrupt you and your skews of perception uh, with control may work against you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't know if we're the Netflix or we're the blockbuster. And sure. so I think that what's key is, is understanding, having the right lens to see what you have, being aware of where your perceptions may be, and, and really building a strategy, a total life wealth strategy, addressing all these different components that allows you to get what you want from your wealth and also get what you want from your your business journey and your life experience that you desire. No, agreed. And it's too bad that some kind of integrated uh, wealth uh, integration system didn't work that would allow an investor to make uh, wise strategic decisions. Right, Ali? Wouldn't it be great (laughs) if such a system existed? Well, thanks. Thanks for the plug, Dave. I appreciate it. So yeah, it's these three dilemmas, the reinvestment dilemma, the legacy dilemma, the exit dilemma, they all manifest at the intersection of life planning and wealth planning. And the reason it's so challenging for many entrepreneurs to bring all the pieces together is there's really not a solution that exists in the marketplace where business owners can address these, this intersection of wealth and life planning. So my goal with this book is to introduce uh, the system that I've been building and continue to build the last almost two decades, which is called uh, the Wealth Integration System for Entrepreneurs, or the nickname is WISE. Um, And WISE essentially has six key components to it, and everything within the spectrum of entrepreneurial wealth fits into one of these six components. And And the book introduces... I was going to say, what are those six components? So the first component is a balance sheet strategy. And a balance sheet strategy is taking everything that you have on your balance sheet, business, investments, you know, private equity, real estate, and pulling it together in one as one strategic path. The mm-hmm. second component is liquidity and cash flow. Liquidity and cash flow is all the capital you have coming in, everything you're going that's going out, how you park your reserves, how much you should maintain in liquidity, personal and business, things of that nature, and then all your cash flow coming in now. Mm-hmm. The third component is lifestyle and legacy. You're either going to spend your money on supporting your lifestyle, your spending and doing as you're here, 
or it's going to be left as your legacy, whether that goes to your children, charity, beneficiaries of some kind. So your capital is either going to be spent for lifestyle or legacy. And by defining a strategy for what you need for you versus what you'd like to leave for others or give to others, you can start to position capital based on what it's for versus just looking at it as all the same capital. Mm -hmm. And to expand on that slightly, there's only three places you can leave your money, family, charity, or government. So most business owners I talk to prefer to leave money to family or charity. And with intentional planning, you can have less go, less, less go to the tax man. Mm-hmm. The fourth component is exit strategy. An exit strategy could be exit from your company through the sale of stock one day. It could be exit through succession to your son or daughter. Or it could be a continuity strategy in the event that an unexpected event happens. But essentially, exit strategy addresses how you're maximizing the value of your company so that one day when you do exit the business, you're doing it in the most effective way possible, generating your the value that you want if that's your goal or generating the outcome that you want if it's not uh, just value-driven. Mm-hmm. The fifth component is asset protection strategy. It's critical to protect what you've built. Other whether that's from a unforeseen liability like a, a lawsuit or you know a, a deal gone bad or an un, um, unplanned uh, or a risk that you're exposed to whether that might be uh, an estate tax risk or a liability or an insurance mm-hmm. issue something of that nature how do you protect it and then the fifth component or sorry excuse me the sixth component sixth and final component is a lifetime tax strategy and a lifetime tax strategy is not about minimizing your tax for April 15th. It's about minimizing your lifetime tax because it's not your gross return that matters. It's really your net return that matters. Mm -hmm. And when you look at things, rather than looking them one year at a time, tax planning, which is very myopic, by looking at a lifetime tax strategy, you can find ways to minimize your tax over your entire lifetime versus trying to just minimize it year to year where in most cases, uh, it's less than optimal outcome if you only look at it annually and not over the big picture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if, yeah, I was going to say, so just for example, let, let's say somebody was able to masterfully pay like no taxes for like 30 years and they put all their focus on that. And let's just say it was you know legal and all that. And they paid no attention to estate planning and say they die with a net worth of a hundred million dollars, you know, forty percent of that just went to the tax man, right? And I think your point is that they might have been better off paying some taxes along the way as part of a bigger strategy to maybe pay a lot less in estate and gift taxes. Is that about the idea of it? Yes, def- that's definitely one of the scenarios where that manifests. That's correct. Estate planning is one aspect of it. But it could be also something that I know you have a lot of uh, business owners you work with that uh, are manufacturers, right? And it might be that sometimes, you know, taking all of your depreciation in one year and say, oh, I'm not going to pay any taxes, that might sound really good in the time. But if tax rates are going to be a lot higher in the future than they are today, maybe that depreciation is worth more spreading it out versus just trying to minimize your tax in one year. Because you might be mm-hmm. you know, saving 30 cents on the dollar today, when in the future, you're, you gave up saving 50 cents on the dollar. Yep. So lifetime tax strategy, estate planning is definitely a part of it. 
but there's several levers that a business owner can pull. And by looking at it through a more uh, big picture lens, you can end up, you know, saving substantial dollars and actually seeing how over the long term that can really benefit you. Okay. Now that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, why don't we, so is there anything else you wanted to cover on the wealth integration system? I, I think we, we have a sense of it. Well, I mean, I think if you've got specific questions that connect to any of the components, I'd be happy to discuss it. But there's many other aspects in the book I can shift to if you'd like to pivot any direction. Yeah, yeah. No, I would I would like to. I was actually kind of setting up for that transition. I just wanted to make sure there was nothing else under WISE that came to mind that we should, we need to cover. So let's talk next about the entrepreneurial mindset. I know we both have benefited from knowing the founder of Strategic Coach, Dan Sullivan, and he speaks a lot about mindset and, and the entrepreneurial mindset. So what is it about entrepreneurs that makes planning different than, say, a corporate executive at a Fortune 500 company? <laughs> the short answer is everything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> The general, so it starts with the business owner taking, you know, a concentrated risk in their own company. So I'll cover a few things. So the first dichotomy is business owners, usually their biggest, most important investment is their own company, which, you know, usually isn't a stock that's traded on an exchange. It usually has more nuances to it than, than it does normalities. It's, it changes the whole makeup of their balance sheet. The next thing is most entrepreneurs they love control. They love to control their own outcome. If they do sell their company, uh, the vast majority of entrepreneurs are back on the saddle with a new company within the next six months. They're not living the typical, you know what, I worked for a company for 30 years, I saved money in a 401k, I got my stock options package, and when I retire, I'm going to golf, travel, you know, do social things. That's really not the case for most entrepreneurs. In fact, one of the sections of my book is called Entrepreneurs Don't Retire. And I think just the fact alone of their balance sheet being so different when they're concentrated risk, and then the fact that when they sell their company, they still don't retire, those two things alone make the entire journey so different than a corporate executive mm -hmm. um, you know, with a, with a pension or 401k plan and, and maybe some stock options or, or stock grants. It creates a, just a completely different lens. And what I encourage entrepreneurs to think about is rather than thinking about retirement, start to think about your return on life experience mm -hmm. and how you can, yeah, RORLE. And that return on life experience, or what we sometimes refer to as like, what role do you want? What, what RORLE do you want? That's a function of how do you want to position your wealth or how can you position your wealth so that you get to live the life experience that you truly desire. And you know, how many weeks a year do you want to work? How many hours a week? What do you want to be doing? What's your passion, your purpose? Your, what harnesses your unique talents and skills? And how do you position your time in your life to where you can get what you want out of your wealth? Because so many entrepreneurs, they worked really hard. They've built up a substantial net worth but they're not enjoying the success that they've earned. The, mm -hmm. the pressures of continuing growth, the pressures of constantly pursuing something new, the just mental struggles and challenges that come along with business ownership sometimes can be 
all-consuming for a business owner. And they might have a great ROI, but they don't have a great ROLE. Mm-hmm. And creating that return on life experience, I mean, really, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And you're rich. You can generate all the ROI you want. If you don't have the time to enjoy it, if you've got a hundred million or a billion dollar net worth, but you're working 60, 70 hours a week, you're constantly on, you're never disconnecting, you're never enjoying it. Um, you're burning the candle at both ends. A lot of times you're not living the life experience you desire. You may be generating the ROI, but I think that's what really matters. And the more I talk to business owners, the more I realize how many are not enjoying the success they've earned and they're needing a path to change that. And that was a big reason why you know, I created WISE and why I wrote this book and why, why we created the workshop program uh, that goes along with it. So it's all part of helping the entrepreneur generate that return on life experience they want. No, I, I, I love it. You've got some great acronyms, WISE and then ROLL. So those, those are easy to remember and, and very insightful. So is it possible for an entrepreneur from a financial perspective to kind of do a hybrid strategy of, you know, let's say they, the business is generating a million dollars a year and they, and they pay themselves, you know, and that's after paying themselves, say a $200,000 salary and the $200,000 salary is uh, sufficient for them. And of course their temptation is to want to reinvest that whole million dollars back in the business. And and of course, you don't want to tell them, take all that money out and invest it to diversify because then you're starving the business. But on the other hand, they're going to want to reinvest 100% of it. Is there a hybrid approach where you can say, hey, take the, you know, let's take the best 80% investment choices and reinvest 800000 but let's carve out a couple hundred thousand to start to build some diversification outside the company, or is that just a lost cause? What's your experience on that strategy? Can that work? Sure. I mean, I think that's a, a great question. And just to clarify, you're saying a business owner has 200000 a drawing of salary that covers their expenses. They've got a million dollars of profit. What should they do with the million? Should they put some back in the business, diversify some? You know, what's the right approach? Yeah. And I'm saying, let's assume the million of profit came after the compensation. Sure. Understood. So the, the first thing that's really important to understand is there's no formulaic, you know, one one answer that this is what you should do. And it, it, it could be a scenario where a business owner should take the entire million dollars and put everything back in the business. And it may be where they take the entire million dollars and pull it out of the company and diversify elsewhere. The key question is, how do I figure out the answer to that? Mm. So there's a few steps that happen. The first is you need to know what your return is if you're to reinvest that capital back in the business. There are some businesses where if you reinvest back in the company, you might generate a 30, 40, 50% return by reinvesting back in your company. And there's not much you can invest in outside of your company, you know, real mm-hmm. estate or stocks that you're going to generate a 30, 40, 50% return. You might do it in one good year. You might have a, a home run period where, you know, real estate really went up or the, or the market really went up. But over, uh, over an extended time frame of, let's just call it, you know, five years, 10 years, you're not going to generate that type of return in a, in a more passive investment. 
Mm-hmm. So the first thing sure. is, is knowing what your return is in your business. And, and then, so that's kind of the, the return. And so you can figure out what your opportunity cost is. Because if you gave up 30% return in the business to invest in the market at 10, mm-hmm. your opportunity cost on that capital is 20%, which is pretty mm-hmm. substantial. Mm-hmm. So first you measure the return. So you know what you're dealing with. And we have a tool that we use and I introduce it in the book uh, as part of the, the balance sheet strategy to first figure out your return for these major asset classes, including your business. The next thing is you want to look at where you are from essentially a couple of different angles, where you are in the life cycle, essentially, you know, based on your age and your, your, your desire for risk, how much risk are you willing to take for some business owners, even if they generate the highest return in their company, they're feeling like, you know what, I've got a lot of chips. I've got a lot of chips in the company and I might want to take some chips off the table and put it elsewhere. And if that's you've got that feeling inside your gut that, you know what, I, I need to pull some capital off the table or, you know what, I'm 65 years old and 100% of my, my investments are in my company. Now you're dealing with maybe you should pull some chips off the table and have some diversification, even if mm-hmm. the return's lower. Mm-hmm. And that's a balanced question based on each individual entrepreneur's profile. So wh- where you are in the risk or where you are in the life cycle, your desire for risk. And then, you know, your, the opportunity cost of your investments. And then the other component to consider is a function of what your goals are and how much of your capital needs to come out of the business in order to fund your personal wealth goals. So let's say, for example, you've got a, a husband and wife, and I'm just going to call them Mark and Cindy, right? And okay. Mark and Cindy say, we want to be independently wealthy, separate from our company, by the time we're 65 years old, we just want to have independent wealth separate from the company. And let's say today they're 50. Okay. Well, in that scenario you described, Mark and Sydney might have a million dollars of profit from their company, but in order to be independently wealthy by 65, they need to have saved $15 million separate from the business. Mm-hmm. So if you back into that $15 million goal, and you say how much needs to be pulled out of the company each year and at what rate of return to get to that goal, you're going to come back with a very specific number. And mm-hmm. let's say that number is $450,000. Okay. Now your formula is really easy. You're going to pull $450,000 out of the company. You're going to reinvest, you know, the 650, excuse me, you're going to reinvest the $550,000 and, you know, we'll adjust for taxes. But essentially, that's your formula of how much comes out. Because if I do that every year between age 50 and age 65, I'll reach my goal of independent wealth separate from the business. And that way, Mark and Cindy are saying, you know, it doesn't matter what happens with the company. Even if the company is the blockbuster and not the Netflix, we have independent wealth. And at the same time, they're not strangling the company's reinvestment because they're taking, you know, that, that 550000 each year and putting it back in the business to continue to grow it. Mm-hmm. So in some scenarios, it could be all in the business. In some scenarios, it's all diversification. And in some scenarios, you're doing a goals-based approach. What okay. matters is, is starting with really what do you want? And Mark and Cindy knew they wanted independent wealth by age 65 separate from the company. We can then build to that goal. So really what you want, what your goals are, that's the bigger driver. And then thinking about where you are in the life cycle, your appetite for risk, where you are in the business cycle, that helps dial into how much uh, you reinvest or how much you pull out. There's no one simple, you know, 
take 30% of your profits each year and bank them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you did want to do that and you want to follow kind of an old age, how much should you save? Then I'd say, yeah, save 10% of your profits every year. If you just want a formula, a simple one, <laughs> take, sure. take 10% of your profits each year, but that's not really an intentional strategy. That's just a, a play it safe formula. Mm. No, that, that makes sense. That's really, that's really useful. And so I think the real takeaway is that there's not a one size fits all answer and that they probably need to be strategic and have a, a guide to, to, to take them on that journey to, to figure some of this out. Right. 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 And we do that in, in two ways, you know, you can, and we talk about this in the book, but if somebody really wanted to go deeper from the book, the tools, they can always look at tools and concepts in the book and there's resources that are available that go along with it. But if they want to go into a workshop program, we have a workshop program where they can dial into these concepts, problem solve their own situation. If they're very hands-on, they really want to kind of direct their own planning and I'll call it more of a do-it-yourself, like learn and do-it-yourself mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great path to go through workshop programs. And even if you're not a do-it-yourself or you just want the strategic guidance, kind of like you and I, we've been in strategic coach for over a decade. You get a lot out of doing those group workshops and having that collaborative mind share. Sure. That's one path is, is a workshop program. The other path is, hey, you know what? I want a guide to help me through this. You know, I want to have the actual form, formulas, the consulting, the help. Then they can take the path of, of specifically uh, working with a guide and, and having them kind of work through these six components of WISE and providing that clarity specific to the owner. So it really just depends on, on what a business owner is looking for. Yeah. And if they're looking for that personal guide, that's where, where your advisory business could be a resource for them, correct? Yes. That could be a path. Essentially, the almost 20 years that led up to building WISE, it was built through doing work as a team individually with business owners. So that's certainly a path they can take. And just depending on whether they prefer you know, kind of workshop-based guidance or they want it, you know, solo guide, if you will. Either, okay. either path is going to help them get towards their end goal, uh, which is to, you know, create a plan to capture their, their life's work. Okay. You know, I always say the fastest 45 minutes in show business is uh, being on the podcast. I can't believe how quickly the time goes. So let's, uh, how about just a couple more questions, okay? And then we'll, uh, sure. we'll wrap it up. So if, if an entrepreneur does take the time to read this book, what are some of the things that, that they may uh, gain from it? Or what are, what are some of the key takeaways? I appreciate that, Dave. Great question. So the first is clarity. Uh, you know, we had a Kirkus review that came in the other day. And one of the, the lines that jumped out from the kind of independent professional review is that how clear the system is and how clear it, it helps an entrepreneur become. And I think that the first thing you'll get from reading the book to any reader that's or listener that's considering reading it is you're going to get incredible clarity over your life's work and a lens to see all the different pieces and through through one lens and kind of having a paradigm for all of your wealth. The second thing is you're going to have a pathway or a roadmap to essentially capture and realize your life's work. You've got all these things that you've done. You've got all these different plans, advisors, wealth, assets. But most of the time, there's nothing bringing it all together and really helping you um, gain clarity and gain a path forward. 
think this book is going to give you the best path you can find for planning your life's work and capturing your life's work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that most business owners don't have a plan for. And I think this book, I know, will, will impact their journey and really help them realize everything that they've accomplished and have a path to plan it all. No, I would agree. Like I said, having had the chance to uh, read an advanced copy, I would say that's spot on with what my observations were. So I guess one, two more questions. What, why is this book so important? I think it it goes back to what happens if you don't do this. And Mm. when you look at the statistics of business owners, the vast majority, I mean, you're talking, depending on what study you read, you know, 80 to 90% of business owners will never monetize their business. They'll never have a path to capture their life's work. They usually don't have effective planning completed. And in many cases, the business ends up becoming a burden or a danger zone for their loved ones in the event that the owner's not there. Mm. And it's, it's really sad to see how much blood, sweat, tears, energy, effort goes into building a company. And because entrepreneurs are so focused on building and we're really good at going from zero to one or one to 10, and we're not necessarily the best planners at planning our life's work, I think that's why it's so important. Because w- mm. without this, you see what the statistics are in the marketplace. And it's really sad. Mm, And most of them won't. So that's the big big why it's so important. You've worked, and I'm speaking to every listener that's on the the podcast right now, but how many hours have you invested working on your company? And think about how many hours you've spent actually creating a strategic plan to capture your life's work, all your business success, to capture it personally, to create that life experience and that plan for all your life's work. It's probably a, not even a measurable fraction of how many hours you've spent building it. And my, mm-hmm. my goal would be to have business owners really spend just a little bit more time being intentional about planning their success. And I think that will serve them exponentially over the course of their lifetime. I completely agree. I completely agree. The planning is is really significant. And my wife and I have both benefited from the work of your great team over the last decade or so, helping us go through that same journey. So so thank you. Thank you for that on just a more personal note. Our pleasure. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy working with you as well. So I guess last question, is there anything that we didn't cover that you think we should have? Hmm. Great question. Um, I think you've asked all the top notes. Um, okay. I think maybe how they connect or where to find, maybe where to find the book or anything, oh, yeah. anything more specific, yeah, a, I think would be. That's a great idea. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where is the book available on Amazon? Yes, the book is uh, as of two twenty two twenty two. The book is available. It's on Amazon, Kindle, paperback, hardback. And if you, you can either purchase the book on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, you know, whatever your preferred uh, method is. But Amazon's usually the easiest. And if you go through to purchase the book on alinasser.com, my personal website, a l i n a s e r dot com, there's some free giveaways there as well that business owners can get access to if they're looking to 
purchase, get, get those free giveaways. And then additionally, if an owner is doing any type of bulk buy, so if they're, you know, have a big business owner community or it's a consultant or service provider for business owners, there's some special giveaways in, um, for large bulk orders that can also be done uh, through that same website. And sometimes they come along with an opportunity for a live speech or something of that nature, just depending on the interest of, of the group. So I'll mention that. I'll mention that as well. And the, like you mentioned, the website is alinasser.com. And if they want to reach out to you by email, that's ali at alinasser.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is the email. Well, we have really covered a lot. So thank you again for writing this book. I have, you know, some of this material I have, uh, have kind of heard through the years just from knowing you and, and, you know, talking about this. And some of it was really great the way you kind of brought all these pieces together. So, uh, really great job. And I couldn't recommend this book more highly for any business owner, uh, out there. I, I really see no, no drawback to uh, spending a couple hours going through this and thinking further. And uh, if they want to investigate any of the workshops, they get, can they find out about that at alinasser.com? They can also visit, there's an assessment uh, that comes along with the book for business owners to assess their current position and kind of gain clarity over that. And that okay. all that information on the assessment and the workshop programs can be found at wiseglobalnetwork.com. W-I-S-E globalnetwork.com. And that's where they can get all the information on workshop programs, assessments, kind of for those that are looking to go deeper from the content in the book, wiseglobalnetwork.com. Great. And then you've also got some other gifts on there, like access to your personal reading list and uh, introductory video and a number of other things. So... (laughs) Well done. Well, I'm excited about the, the launch and I, I hope it, it goes really well and exceeds your expectations. Thank you so much, Dave. I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your partnership over the, the many years we've known each other and uh, being a part of this uh, journey uh, along with me. So thank you so much for your continued support. And thank you for all the listeners that are have tuned in. Well, hey, it is my pleasure. I've enjoyed having you on here, and I hope you have a great uh, rest of the day. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-disc-show.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.